In the previous chapter, we talked about the control mechanisms of the narcissistic parent and how they maintain their pivotal role in the family by instilling fear in those around them. We talked about how these constant threats instill a sense of hypervigilance in the child, forcing them to deliberately detach from desire and become compulsively compliant to the needs of the narcissist. The narcissist needs to be needed by their children. So leading an independent and self-determined life poses a threat to the narcissist and their self-importance. So the child's intrinsic motivation is quashed. The motivation that does remain is purely circumstantial. The child becomes a puppet of circumstance and their behaviour is externally regulated by the narcissist. In this particular podcast, I'd like to explore the domains of the psyche that are affected by this over-controlling narcissistic behaviour. These elements include attachment, locus of control, self-esteem, self-efficacy, agency, and cognition. It's the lack of nurturing and development around these core areas that form the basis of complex PTSD symptoms we see in adults. Difficulty regulating emotions and controlling behaviour, dissociation, and a fragmented identity. In later podcasts, we'll explore these symptoms in greater detail, as well as the neurobiology behind complex trauma. The vast majority of complex PTSD survivors have attachment disorders in some way or another. This is because there is a failure to form normal attachments to their primary caregivers during early childhood. Such a failure would result from unusual early experiences of neglect, abuse or abrupt separation from their primary caregivers. The failure to bond is due to the lack of the caregiver's responsiveness to the child's communicated efforts resulting in a lack of basic trust. This lack of trust extends well into adulthood where the individual becomes untrustworthy of themselves and the broader community to meet their needs. And they link the confidence of not having their needs met in the past with faith about this not happening in the future. So as a result, the adult is very reluctant to form attachments and bonds to the very things and people that they need in their lives, forming the basis of self-sabotaging behaviour. This lack of attachment gives birth to a virulent inner critic, left unaddressed becomes increasingly toxic as the years go by. This distrust in their primary caregiver for nurturing and comfort also extends to safety and security. The infant's natural curiosity and will to explore the world is also hindered by the lack of attachment. Their natural inherent drive to seek out challenges, new possibilities associated with cognitive development is hindered because they don't feel fundamentally safe that their primary caregiver will be there in the face of threat for the purpose of survival. The infant's world becomes a very dangerous place with nowhere to go to seek comfort, shelter and safety in times of need. The lack of empathy exhibited by the narcissistic parent also impacts on a process called mirroring. Mirroring consists of a parent imitating the infant's expression while vocalising the emotion implied by that expression. This action helps the child develop a greater sense of self-awareness and self-control as they can see their emotions within their parent's face. In a sense, we learn who we are from the reflection we see in the face of our primary caregiver. Mirroring also helps the infant learn and feel secure and valid in their own emotions, as the parent's imitation of their emotions may help the child recognise their own thoughts and feelings more readily. The chronic emptiness synonymous with developmental trauma is thought to have been brought about by this lack of validation during the mirroring process. 
Another domain which is impaired with people with complex trauma is their locus of control. This is the degree to which people believe that they have control over the outcomes of events in their lives, as opposed to external forces shaping the outcomes of things. The warmth, supportiveness and parental encouragement that's necessary for an internal locus of control to form was lacking. There's no surprise that the individual who suffered at the hands of their parental narcissist has had their locus of control externalised. This means that the traumatised individual believes that their life is controlled by outside factors which they cannot influence. As children, they were forced to be compliant passengers in their own life. So trauma sufferers often feel powerless in their adult lives. Goal setting obviously becomes difficult and they have a deep sense that they're just waiting for their lives to start. Self-efficacy is also another part of personality which is affected by the narcissist. This is the person's belief that he or she can accomplish a particular activity. It differs from locus of control in that it's specific to situations and activities. It works in tandem with an externalised locus of control, and quite possibly the individual feels and believes they can't complete a task because external factors or events out of their control will prevent them from achieving their goals. Another core element of self-evaluation which is distorted in the minds of trauma sufferers is their sense of self-esteem. This is basically the judgment of one's own self or their attitude towards themselves. Self-esteem encompasses beliefs about oneself as well as emotional states such as triumph, despair, pride, shame and guilt. So in toxic narcissistic or abusive environments, the child very rarely feels accepted, loved and respected by their primary caregivers. So as a result, they have difficulty in showing themselves this level of empathy when they become adults. They might feel fundamentally flawed, unlovable, or have toxic shame. Self-esteem allows people to face life with more confidence, benevolence, and optimism, and make it easier for them to reach their goals and self-actualize. Having a low self-esteem may convince people that they don't deserve happiness. This self-rejection equates to major depressive disorders in adult life. Freud also claimed that the depressive has suffered an extraordinary diminution of his self-regard, an impoverishment of his ego on a grand scale. He has lost his self-respect. So low self-esteem results in heavy self-criticism and dissatisfaction, hypersensitivity towards criticism, chronic indecision and an exaggerated fear of mistakes, an excessive will to please others. They have perfectionistic standards and are frustrated when their perfectionism is not achieved. They tend to be pessimistic and have a general negative outlook. They see temporary setbacks as permanent intolerable conditions. What's interesting to note is that people with low self-esteem are more likely to minimise the consequences of risky behaviour. This may contribute to behaviours like drinking, taking drugs or engaging in risk-taking behaviour. The sense of agency which is impaired in trauma sufferers is a little more difficult to explain because we have to consider the neurobiology behind the phenomena. It refers to the subjective awareness that one is initiating and controlling their own volitional actions in the world. For example, if someone else was to move your arm while you remained passive, you would certainly have sensed that it were your arm that moved, and thus you'd have a sense of ownership of that movement. However, you would not have felt that you were the author of that movement. You would not have sensed the agency. Can you imagine the difficulty in trying to explain this sensation to somebody when they simply ask why are you upset or why are you down? So recovery from trauma requires a reintegrated sense of agency with a sense of ownership. 
Trauma sufferers often say that they have a corrupted intuition and they can't trust their gut instincts. This is because of the dissociated state that they exist in, where their cognition doesn't match the body's symptoms that they feel. We've all felt the frustration of watching a film where the music and dialogue doesn't match the screen images that we see. This is mildly frustrating and quite annoying and we can't really make sense fully of what's happening. So imagine this isn't a movie anymore, but this is actually your life. How would you make sense of it? This lack of synchronicity comes about from forced dialectical dilemmas. In a nutshell, their primary caregiver, the deliverer of love, acceptance and all good things, was also their abuser and becomes the source of pain and suffering. This sets in motion a whole plethora of intrapersonal conflicts that need to be solved one after the other in psychoeducation to disentangle the confused messages. The ability to recognise oneself as the agent of a behaviour is the way the self builds as an entity independent from the external world. So complex trauma actually has its own neurobiological component and we'll explore this through the work of Professor Bessel van der Kolk in the following episode. The sense of agency plays a pivotal role in cognitive development. That's right, the sense of agency plays a pivotal role in cognitive development, which would explain why many complex trauma survivors don't respond very well to cognitive behavioural therapy, because the cognition is built on the sense of agency, not the other way around. The sort of mental process described as cognitive today is largely based on the work of Thomas Aquinas, who divided the study of behaviour into two broad categories, cognitive, how we know the world, and affective, how we understand the world via feelings and emotions. So it's not surprising that with an impaired sense of agency, an external locus of control, low self-esteem and self-efficacy, lack of attachment would distort somebody's perception of the world. So the lack of flow and consistency of information processing leads to cognitive impairment. Traumatised individuals reason through oscillating between two modes, their emotion mind, where they're very impulsive and, and jump to conclusions and don't consider the consequences, to being extremely logical, calculative and almost self-abandoning where they don't consider their own wants and needs or desires. So part of the recovery process is blending their emotion mind with their logical mind to create a wise mind where they can be fully involved in the processes and the decisions they have to make. The cognitive impairment is exacerbated by a hyperactive nervous system. Even though the trauma is over, the nervous system is still in alarm. This constant state of arousal or hypervigilance renders the prefrontal cortex offline. The simplest of decisions become almost impossible to make life becomes completely unworkable because all their psychic energy is going into survival. This is a biological adaptation so we consider immediate threat before any future planning. So the mechanism designed to actually keep us safe is now jeopardizing our own survival. So in the following podcast I'd like to explore the neurobiology behind complex trauma and what this means for the daily life of someone with complex PTSD.